It was a couple years back um, where I was driving down the road, and I don't know if this ever happened to you like this. Um, maybe it has. Uh, you're driving down the road, and you notice your car starts making a noise that you hadn't heard it making in the past. That ever happened to anybody? Yeah, a few times, right, yeah. You, cut, you know, and, and at first you do, right? You, you turn the radio up, and that's right, because you... You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear it. Uh, but then you're like, okay, maybe this is. So you turn the radio down, you turn everything off, and you're trying to hear what is this noise and where is it coming from? At least that's what I do, right? So this particular noise was coming where every time I would hit a bump, there was a, it would make this strange noise. And I noticed it was coming from the like, front right tire of the car. And I'd drive and I'd hit a bump. And it'd make this noise. And I'm like, all right, fine. I think, I'm like, okay, I think I know where it's coming from. So eventually, uh, I stop the car, and I go out and look. And I'm looking, okay, what could the, you know, this be? And then I found this little piece of plastic coming down from the wheel well, where every time I hit a bump, this piece of plastic would hit the tire. And then I'd, I'd hear that noise every time. And I'm like, well, this can't be good. I mean, I don't know what it's going to do, but it's obviously not designed to work this way. Uh, so I got to fix it. So how am I going to fix this? So I go into the back of the car, and I've got a bunch of zip ties, right? And so I just get a zip tie, put it around this little piece of plastic, put it around the part of the car, zip it together, and like, well, okay, I'm going to, you know, this will get me home, and then I'll, you know, eventually fix it the right way eventually, right? And how many of you have said that before, right? And you know what happens. I go to trade the car in a few years later, and zip ties are still there, Right? Uh, now, thankfully, they didn't notice or they didn't care. They, you know, apparently, they looked at my car and they're like, yeah, zip cars, zip ties look about right. Um, but it was, uh, but y- you sometimes will fix things just to get you through, do a little bit of a fix. It's not really the right way. It's not really the permanent way, but it gets you by, right? Um, you know, that, that happens at times, right? We, if you've ever moved into a new house, I remember <clears throat> when you move into a house that you buy from someone, you know, you go in during the showing, and everything looks great. You know, it's like the stage, the furniture, it's all staged out, it looks great. And of course, you go back after you move in and everything's out, right? And then you realize they painted around the pictures and, you know, they did a lot of, you know, maybe some temporary fixes rather than doing it right. You go on the internet and look for pictures for things that people fixed just to get by and you find some interesting pictures. Here's just a few of them this morning. I don't know if you've been to that gas station. That's a way. I like that. <clears throat> That's scary. That's scary. Got the airplane. That makes no sense. That's, we've all done that. <laughs> and I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. Picnic, yeah, boat. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we find ways to fix things. <laughs> To get by, it's not always the right way to do it. What it is, is we're finding temporary solutions to a larger problem. There's times in life where we often look to and find a temporary solution and we miss the larger problem, the more permanent problem. Uh, Or in the case of the scripture we're going to look at this morning, um, we have a temporary fix to an eternal problem problem. So turn to John chapter 6 if you have your Bible. John chapter 6 as we walk through this book of John together. uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 this morning, but we're actually going to cover verses 
uh, throughout uh, most of the chapter, throughout verse 58 today. I'm going to reference some verses, but I'm going to read 1 through 15. As we look at some people who I think have this similar situation, making the exact same mistake of seeing the temporary situation and missing an eternal problem or eternal solution. Uh, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 15. This is what the word of God says. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. In this story, we find crowds gathering around Jesus. And we find crowds gathering and coming to Jesus. In fact, what happens in the immediate aftermath of this is that Jesus crosses to the other side of the lake after his disciples. There's a miracle in that too. As the disciples take a boat and Jesus doesn't. Jesus walks on water. And he goes to the other side of the lake. And when he goes to the other side of the lake, the next morning the crowd gets up and realizes Jesus isn't there. Well, they want to know where Jesus is. They think they have a good idea. So they actually walk and go around to the other side of the lake to find Jesus. And they're going after him, and they're seeking after him. And the crowd is seeking after him, I think, for three reasons. Uh, The first reason is the crowd wanted a meal. crowd wanted a meal. In fact, when they go to Jesus, he says this. Jesus answered them, when they said they were seeking him, and he says in verse 26 of chapter 6, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And Jesus says, look, you're seeking me because I'm the bread maker. You're seeking me because I made a meal, because I made bread, and you all got to eat bread. And if somebody miraculously makes bread and feeds thousands of people, You might want to be around him, and that's why you're seeking me. Seeking me because you want a meal. 
The second reason I think the crowds were seeking him is because the crowds wanted a miracle. If you look in the very start of this passage that I read, it says this in verse 2, and a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So if somebody's healing people and making people well, a crowd gathers. And that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus was healing people and making people well. And when he did, the crowds gathered. That's how it ended up with a crowd on a hill with no food. Because there were people that wanted a miracle. And so they came to Jesus looking for a miracle. I think it's the third reason the crowd was following Jesus. And that's because they wanted a monarch. We can say king, but monarch fits my alliteration of three M's. They wanted a monarch. They wanted a king. It says so, at perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So perceiving that the crowd wanted to make him king, that wasn't attractive to Jesus at all. Not at this point, not at this moment in his ministry. So he goes away to the mountain by himself. The crowd was looking for a meal, a miracle, and a monarch. And Jesus withdraws away from the crowd. He walks away from that. Why? I think the reason why it becomes clear in some of the statements that Jesus makes after this story. As is often the case with John, he gives us an account of an event in Jesus' life and then gives a lengthy teaching that Jesus gives that really explains the account. The crowd wanted the meal, the miracle, and the monarch, but these are temporary things. But what the crowd missed was the eternal. The crowd missed the eternal. And Jesus knew they were missing it. And so what you see throughout the rest of chapter 6 is Jesus driving home the point of something that they missed. So take a look at these several verses. You know, all in chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to, say these two words with me, eternal life. Let's do it again. Try it once more. Eternal life. We're going to see that again and again. Watch in the next verses where it happens. Which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Another verse, same passage, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Also alluding to eternal life. Another verse, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Another verse, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And another verse, verse 50, this is the bread that comes from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And one more verse, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So here's what you see in this contrast. The people want a meal. They want a miracle. They want a monarch. They want a king. They want something here and now. 
They want a temporary fix to their temporary problems. But Jesus redefines the situation. And again and again and again, he says, your real problem is death. Your real problem is that you're going to die and you need a solution for that. Your real problem is not these temporary things, but the eternal truth of your life. So my question is this, that I want to look at for the last few minutes together, is this. Why does the temporary often eclipse the eternal? If this is the real problem, if this is the real situation, then why is it that the temporary often eclipses the eternal? And I don't think it's just for them back there. I think it's for us right here. I think oftentimes as you go about your week and as you go about your day and the people you interact with, the people you work with, and the people you go to school with, that our focus is on what's right here, right now, in front of us. What's going on today? And I needed a solution for the problems I have today. But it often eclipses very rarely. How many conversations did you have last week about eternal life? How many conversations did you have last week about what happens after death? Now, a few of you probably have because of situation and times in life or where you're at, but most of us probably didn't. Most people don't spend much time thinking about that. And neither did the people in Jesus' day. They were thinking about, hey, what am I going to have for lunch? Well, let's go follow the bread maker. He's on the other side of the lake. Let's go see what he's making for lunch. I mean, that's basically what Jesus said they were doing. And we think, well, what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to have for dinner? What am I gonna, how am I going to get this done? How am I gonna, man, it's going to take a miracle to get this project done. It's going to take a miracle for this aspect of my life. I need, we, have these, we have a temporary focus on our situation. Why does the temporary often eclipse the... If the eternal is more important, if life after this life, after the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years God gives you here... If after that, it's infinity, then why is our focus so often on what's going on right here and right now? I think there's two reasons that I want to look at this morning. Two reasons why the temporary often eclipses the eternal. And I want to just look at those quickly with you today. Why do we miss the temporary? Why do we miss the eternal? The first one is this temporary eclipses the eternal when you miss the severity of the situation. I think often we miss the severity of our situation. We're so focused on how are we going to pay the next bill? How are we going to uh, get to the next place we want to get to at work? How are we going to achieve the next goal? How are we going to do what we need to do here that we miss the severity of our situation? severity of the situation is this. We all die. That's the severity of the situation. This is the reality of it. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. He says, you come and you eat this bread... But, but it's not, you're going to die. Here's what happened. Here, here's, here's the significance of this moment. This is important. So Jesus, this is the first of Jesus' seven I am statements in the book of John. In the book of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. We're going to look at them over the coming weeks. 
And many times as he makes a significant statement about who he is and about himself, he makes it at a key place, at a key moment. So John, in verse 4 of chapter 6, says that it's happening during the Passover feast. Why is it significant that it's happening during the Passover feast? Because the Passover feast was when the Jewish people would remember that God delivered them from Egypt, but also that God, went after he delivered them from Egypt, carried them and provided for them in the desert for 40 years. Well, how did he provide for them in the desert for 40 years? Well, one way was he gave them bread, manna that miraculously provided bread six days a week for 40 years. Six days a week. Six days a week because on the Sabbath, he didn't want them laboring and picking up bread, so he would provide double portion on the sixth day, and that would carry them through for two days. But for, they didn't harvest. They didn't plant. They didn't grow their crops. They didn't buy them. That would have been too much. We're talking close to two million people in the desert for 40 years. How are they going to live? God miraculously provides for them, and he gives them bread. He gives them manna. He gives them bread. And so Jesus, in the midst of the Passover feast, in the midst of this time when they're remembering God's miraculous provision of bread for 40 years for the people, says that your forefathers ate that bread and died. But I am the bread of life. And if you will eat this bread and believe in me, you will live forever. You will have eternal life. So what he's trying to say is, you can have a great meal. In fact, every one of your meals can be a great meal. You can eat Michelin star rated meals every meal for the rest of your life and you're still gonna die. That's what Jesus is saying. They ate miraculous bread provided for God and, by God in the desert and they still died. That's not your real problem. And the truth is, you can have all kinds of miracles that happen in your life. Lazarus, raised from the dead by Jesus, is not walking around the world today. He died. Every sick person that Jesus healed died. The miracles are wonderful, but they are a temporary solution and Jesus is saying, you've got a bigger problem. You can follow some great leader. You can make them king. You can be a part of a movement. You can create a legacy. You can be a part of something wonderful that happens, but you're going to die still. The meal, the miracle, the monarch, you're still. Jesus says, this is your real problem. And the reason for many of us that the temporary eclipses the eternal is because we fail to grasp the severity of the situation. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He's contrasting the temporary and the eternal. We're so focused often on what's going on in this world that we miss what God is saying is really important. 
Second reason. Second reason, temporary eclipse is the eternal. When you miss the severity of the situation and when you miss the significance of the sign. You miss the significance of the sign. You see, there was a reason, the reason I read this passage, and there was a reason Jesus multiplied the bread. There was a reason he did. He didn't just do it because there's a whole lot of people here and they're hungry and I need to feed them. All that did was simply set the stage for Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus says this, he answered them, like I read this, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is saying, look, you missed a sign. You saw something as a meal, but you missed the Messiah. You missed, you saw the bread multiplied miraculously, but you missed what it was pointing to. It's, when I was a kid, we used to, when we go on vacation, we'd always drive there. How many of you had drivers on vacations? A lot of drivers. How many flyers? We got some flyers. How many both? A little bit of both, right? Depends where you're going. We would always drive. We'd always drive. And, and, and there's some good things about driving. The, the unique thing about driving, one of the things I love, is the stops you make along the way, right? And, and, and one of the places you stop is the rest stops. And I loved stopping at the rest stop. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, 495 outhouses and a little piece of grass to walk the dog. I mean the really nice ones, like the welcome centers when you cross over into a new state, right? You know what I'm talking about? You cross over into a new state and they have these welcome centers there and you walk in and depending on the state, you know, maybe they have these little, uh, you know, under glass often these models of here's what you can see if you stay in our state. Here's what you can visit. You know, don't miss this in this state. Don't miss this. You know, they try and get you to stay, right? What was the best, when you were a kid, I'll see how many, what was the best part of the Welcome Center when you were a kid? I heard it. The brochures. The bro, when you're a kid and you walk into one of these Welcome Centers and there are racks and racks of free, colorful, brochures and maps and you for you walk in for the first time and you realize I can take any of these and all of these and you walk in and you're going we're going to go skydiving and we're going to go in the caves and we're going to go in the waterfalls and you're just taking them and you walk out and you got this stack of brochures and you got the maps and your parents are finding them in the car weeks later you know because you just didn't do anything but that was the best thing the brochures I love the brochures right you look at all these places you can go you can look at all these things you can do but here's the thing about the rest stop here's the thing about the welcome center well, here's what we never did when I was a kid here's what we never did and what I never do with my kids what I've never done. We never drove to the welcome center and then drove home. We never drove to the welcome center. Wasn't this wonderful? Look at all these wonderful things this, we could do. And then we drove home. The welcome center, the rest stop, is not the destination. It's a sign pointing to where you can go and what you can see. And here's what Jesus is saying to these followers. The welcome center is not the destination. 
The meal isn't the destination. The miracle isn't the final destination. It's a sign. It's pointing to the God who does miracles. It's pointing to the God who can give you bread that you will never eat or thirst again to give you eternal life. Don't miss the sign. And that's what he's saying. And look, there is nothing wrong with the meal. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong. Not only is there nothing wrong with asking for bread, Jesus teaches us to ask for bread. When his disciples ask him to, how to pray, he says, as part of that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with praying for bread. There's nothing wrong with asking God for a miracle. But here's the thing we often miss. Before, give us this day our daily bread, it starts out, Jesus started out, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done. All this thing saying God, all this eternal perspective of who God is, you're in heaven, you're Father, you're in control, your kingdom's what matters, this is what's important. And then, give us this day our daily bread. And we often want to jump to give us a stay our daily bread, that temporary aspect, and we miss the eternal that God wants us to see. There's nothing wrong with asking for bread. Nothing wrong with asking God for a miracle. God is a miracle-working God. We praise God when God does a miracle. We praise God for Michelle being here today. We praise God for healings, for deliverance. We thank God every time he does it. We ask God for miracles. We ask God for healings. Nothing wrong with it. But don't think that's the final destination. That's just a stop. That's just a point to say that this God who did this, you know what else he can do? He can save you from the thing that is the biggest fear in your life, and that is death. And he can turn death into a doorway to eternal life. That's the message of the miracle. The message of the miracle is that this is not the end. And so Jesus is saying they missed it. You're missing it. And that's why he goes and hides on a mountain by himself because he knows they're missing it. They want to make him a king. Is Jesus king? Of course he's king. The Bible calls him the king of kings. But they had the wrong perspective. They wanted a king that could deliver them from their temporary political oppression. Jesus says, you're missing it. You're missing the temporary. You're missing the eternal because of your view of the temporary. The temporary eclipses the eternal when we don't grasp the severity of the situation and the significance of the sign. The severity of the situation is that we die. The significance of the sign is that we don't have to. Significance of the sign is that we don't have to. Severity of the situation is that you will and I will die. We will experience a physical and a spiritual death. The significance of the sign is this, that though you will experience a physical death, it doesn't have to be a death that is the end of life. Because life, because eternity apart from God is really the end of anything that would be considered life. It is separation and apart from God, spent in hell, apart from God, that's not life. Jesus says, I offer eternal life. And the death doesn't have to be the end. Physical death isn't the end. It's a doorway to eternal life with God. And whatever life and joys and pleasures you find in this life, 
how much more the joys and pleasures of a life that God has created that is not tainted by sin and death and disease and the things of this world. That's eternal life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Not just I'm the bread. Don't stop with I am the bread. Jesus is more than that. He's that, but he's more than that. I am the bread of life. And by that, he means eternal life. So don't make the mistake of having a meal and missing the Messiah. You have a temporary needs that need to be fulfilled, but you have a giant eternal need that only God, Jesus, can fill. There's been a lot of talk in the news this week. Two big stories that really captured the news. Uh, suicide of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain uh, really captured the news this week in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and it, you know, as soon as it happened, it flashed across. You probably heard about it, flashed across my phone, my news feed, and, and maybe yours, and all these things. And, and you look at that, and it's tragic and sad. Why does that capture our attention? All of a sudden, there's this talk about suicide and what happens, and studies that have been done that show the suicide rate in the last 30, uh, 20 years has increased 30%. A lot of us don't hear about that. And you might, uh, another note on that, the group that the, has the highest suicide rate among used to always be teenagers. Uh, for the longest time, every time they do these surveys, it would be teenagers. Just recently, a different group actually eclipsed teenagers, and it's people in middle age actually are uh, committing suicide at a higher rate than even teenagers. And you would think about this, and it captures a lot of attention. Why does it capture a lot of attention? Why do stories like this, I mean, suicides and deaths happen, why do these particular two stories capture so much attention? Why is it when a celebrity, um, you know, has a tragic end like this, why does it capture so much attention? I think one reason is this, because we have been told over and over and over again that this world will satisfy and fulfill your desires and your needs. And so when we see people who have seemed to have reached the pinnacle of what this world has to offer, They've reached the top when it comes to position and popularity, and they've, they've reached and achieved what many people strive for, and then it becomes apparent that it wasn't fulfilling, that it didn't deliver on what it promised, that suddenly it causes a lot of people to maybe question whether this really is what we've made it all out to be, that maybe... There's checks being written that cannot be cashed. The promises being made that will not be delivered upon, that something in this world is going to provide the fulfillment that what you're ultimately looking for. And so it captures our attention. In fact, after the Robin Williams suicide in 2014, they started to do some studies. And after a celebrity commits suicide, suicide rates have a 10% spike in the recent days following that. And why is that? I don't know. I don't know all the research behind it, but my suspicion is that people start to realize the severity of their situation and they give up hope. 
Because when you realize the severity of, if you really realize the severity of your situation, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to give up hope or you're going to go all out. You're either going to give up hope and say, look, what's the point? If you embrace a non-theistic worldview that we came from nothing and that we're going to nothing and there's nothing in between, then what's the point? So you give up hope. What's the point of all this? Or you just go all out. Look, there's no point. This is, it's YOLO. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, you only live once and you got you to gotta, you gotta live every day to the full and you got to get everything you can and suck the marrow out of life because this is it. 40, 50, 60, 70, that's it. That's all you get. People that understand the severity of life either give up hope or go all out or most people just kind of go along trying not to think about it. You start to realize when something like that happens, I think what people realize is the severity of their situation. As much as you try not to think about it, it's true. The severity of the situation is we're all going to die. And the things of this world cannot provide the fulfillment that we're ultimately looking for. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, put it this way. If I have desires that cannot be and are not fulfilled in this world, then the logical conclusion is that I have not been created, that I have been created for another world. And if you have desires and fulfillments that are not fulfilled in this world, the logical conclusion is that you, the reason is because you have been created for another world. And you will never be completely, find your complete fulfillment in this world because you weren't created for this world. You'll get temporary fixes. You'll get temporary solutions. I mean, that good meal tastes good and fills you up for a little while, but you're going to be hungry again in a few hours because it's a temporary fix to an eternal problem. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it's not about the meal, it's not about the miracle, it's not about who's your king, it's about the fact that you need eternal life. So here's our response. What's our response to this message? I think there's two responses depending on where you fall. If you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, and I'll ask our music music ministry, you guys can come back, we're going to close up. Here's two responses depending on which category you're in. If you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, then what's your response? You might say, Pastor, I know all this. You know, it's a good reminder. I know people that don't know Jesus. I know people that don't, aren't focused on eternal life and it's a good, but I know all this. Well, here's, here's the response for you. If you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, here's how this relates to you. Then Is your prayer life, is your walk with God, does it involve and is it consumed with a worship of the eternal God and a focus on the eternal things? Or does my prayer life jump to give us this day our daily bread? And I skip so quickly past, God, you are so holy. God, you have given so much. Eternal life is a gift from you, God. God, may your kingdom come. Lord, may your will be done here in my life, here on earth, just as it is in heaven. God, this is what's important. God, let your perspective be at the forefront of my mind. God, let your vision be at the forefront of my mind. Lord, your kingdom come. And if I am a follower of Jesus, then I need to check my motivations. Why am I following Jesus? Just because of what he can give for me in the temporary or am I worshiping Jesus 
because of what he has given to me in eternal life. God, lift our eyes. God, lift our eyes. Because this is here for a little while. But God, you have given us life eternal. And because of that, I can worship you forever and all of my days because you have spared me and you have given me life. So if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, then that's the question for you today. Is your life, is your prayer life, are your thoughts consumed with the eternal? You know, there's an old saying among Christians sometimes that he's so or she's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. <clears throat> Meaning your head's so often in the theological clouds that you don't do any good here on the earth. It's fine. I see that, and I can see that happening. But I also see the reverse of that happen sometimes. Christians are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. So focused on the temporary and what I can have today and what I can achieve <clears throat> that they're no good to the purposes of God in this world. They're no good to serving the purposes of heaven in this world. To have our eyes lifted to the heavens and focused on the eternal and our hands working in this world. But maybe you're not a believer and you're here today and you say, I, you have had your eyes completely on the temporary and you have been trying to ignore the fact that you are going to die. I don't know when that day is. You don't know when that day is. It doesn't matter your age. That's not important. We all know that's not the answer. I mean, maybe the odds or the statistics. But it doesn't matter the age. The reality is we're all going to die. The question is, after you experience death on this earth, will you experience eternal life with God after this? And that, Jesus has offered you through belief in him. In fact, he says it very clearly several times throughout this passage. But maybe the most clearest, he says it, is here in verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus of himself, will give you. And this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Putting your belief and your trust in Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in him, putting your life in his hands. Jesus says this is what gives you eternal life when you give your life to Jesus. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you say, I need that more perspective, I need to take my eyes off the temporary and I need to be focused on the eternal, just lift your hand up to God right now. Say, God, that's me today. That's me. Lord, that's me. I need, I've been too focused on the temporary and I need to lift my eyes up to the eternal. I need to take my eyes off being so consumed with the worries of the day. And Lord, lift my eyes and give me a vision for what you want to do in my life. Lord, I pray for these who have lifted their hand. God, I pray as a church, 
Would you, Lord, have our eyes upon you? Lord, would you lift our eyes up, Lord, and not, Lord, miss the eternal significance of what you want to do, not miss the eternal aspects of our life and the purpose you have for us here, Lord, because we're so focused on the temporary. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times where we've been so focused on the temporary needs that we may have missed an eternal work that you've wanted us to do. So God, make us into a church, Lord, that'll work with our eyes on you, Lord. Keep our eyes upon you. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're in that second category, you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not a Christian, wouldn't, you hadn't been to this point, but you recognize that you have been consumed with the temporary. And if, and if you died today, that you have no assurance of eternal life. Let me tell you, the Bible says it clearly. We just read it, that if you will put your belief and trust in your life in Jesus' hands, and if you die today, Jesus says you have eternal life with God. And if that's you today, and you say, you know what, pastor, if I died today, I don't have that assurance, but I want that assurance. And I want to put my faith, my trust, and my life in Jesus' hands. I want to commit myself to him. I want to put my, not just follow him, but believe in him. And there's a difference. There's a difference. The crowd followed Jesus to the other side of the lake for a meal, but the crowd didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. Maybe you're in here today and you've been following but not believing. And this morning, you want to make that step and you say, I want, to, I want God to know. I'm going to lift my hand to God and I want God to know I believe in him and my full faith and trust is in him and my life is in his hands. And if that's you, just do it. I just ask the last group to do, just slip your hand up and say, God, that's me. I want to put my full faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. Just lift your hand up and lift your eyes up if you would. Just look at me. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Anyone else that you say today is the day I want to put my full faith and trust I want in Jesus Christ as my Lord. I want to follow him. Stop following my own ways. If you just lifted up your hand, I thank God that God has not made this difficult for you. Jesus said it in this word, his own words that if you will believe in him, and if you're here, what that belief means is you put your life in your, his hands, you turn from your ways and you turn to his ways. You accept his love and forgiveness, you ask for his forgiveness, you receive it, and you turn and you give your life to him. And from this day forward, your life is in his hands and you say, Lord, I will live my life for you. My full faith and belief and trust is in you. Lord, I pray for these who just lifted their hand. Lord, I pray as they come to you and they put their life in your hands, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, enter their body, Lord, that their body would become a place where you dwell, that you would lead them, Lord, that you would guide them, Father, that you would be their Lord, that you would direct them in this life and the next, the life after this life, Lord, that you would, and I know you already have because it says it in your word, give them eternal life as they commit their life to you and as they say Lord as we say our life is in your hands the one on this side of death and the one on the other side of our physical death it's in your hands it's in your hands Lord because the truth is when we put our faith in you we don't die we have eternal life with God 
And it doesn't begin when we die. It begins today. Lord, and we thank you for that truth. And we ask it and we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen.